so glad you're with us this morning. We have a uh, we have to fit in the new members. I, I forgot that last week. We, I had a bunch of new members ready. I didn't forget. I actually, we ran out of time. Last week went longer than we expected, and I just made the call. We needed to get that done. And so today we will be welcoming new members uh, that I've interviewed, and we've gone through the process. We'll do that at the very end. Don't let me forget. Somebody in the front row. Mark, I guess you're in charge. i got to make sure I get that in this week. Crazy week. I sent out the email last night. I... I got to Chicago to see my mom and dad and then immediately went down with a cold. Not surprised. I survived through Christmas with a crazy hectic schedule and then just my body said, you're done for a while. So ended up in a bed for two days and just got home. And uh, while I was on the road, I started thinking about where we're at. Uh, my plan was, uh, I get away every fall, plan out our messages for the next year. My plan was to start the book of Daniel today. And then as I'm looking at my schedule, uh, winter is when I go out and do some special speaking events and things. And so I'm going to be gone a couple of Sundays and I didn't want to get into the book of Daniel and have it be choppy. Like he's here for two weeks, gone a week, back three weeks, gone two weeks. So I didn't want it to get choppy. And so last week as I was talking through our, our mission statement, Podcar, everybody say Podcar. Podcar. That's how you can know our mission statement. I want you to know our mission statement as a church, but it's a really good statement and one that I thought it would be good to preach through. And so I'm going to take each one of those statements over the next several months and just preach through each of our mission statement points, who we are as a church, who we should be as believers. So that's the plan. Did you survive the holidays? Good Christmas, everybody? Wasn't, uh, Christmas Eve was great here. Again, we're so grateful for all the effort everybody put in. Uh, I want to come clean. I got to do some confession, some full, uh, transparency. It was the last gift that Julie opened on Christmas Day. We'd gone through all the presents, kind of reminiscent of the Christmas story. And I said, what's that back behind the tree? And it was this big box. And, and Julie started opening it, and, and I, I have a picture, but I have not been given permission to show it yet, because it's Christmas morning, 7 a.m., and she's not quite camera ready. But if you could just see her expression as she opened up a brand new vacuum. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're not going to believe this. After all the stuff I did during Christmas, talking about don't buy a vacuum, that's the worst thing you could do, our vacuum went down. Right before Christmas. And I was shopping for Christmas and I went by an end cap in a store and there was these vacuums on sale. And I'm like, wouldn't that be ironic? If the guy who stood here every week and said, don't buy your wives a vacuum cleaner, bought his wife a vacuum cleaner. Now, it's a, it's a cheap vacuum and it was a, just a joke. As soon as she opened, I'm like, I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. It's not really a Christmas present. Wouldn't you know it? She loves that vacuum. So guys, I just take back everything I said. Maybe if you bought your wife a vacuum, maybe it was the greatest thing ever to do. So good for you. My wife survived. Uh, she loves her vacuum. Uh, all is well with the world. Full disclosure, okay? I didn't want anybody finding out and saying, oh, that dirty pastor, he lied to us. Uh, didn't lie, just ended up being that way. So let's, let's get into this new series that I'm going to call Dive In. Dive In, Authentic and Relevant. Christianity. Let's pray. Would you pray this prayer as we get started this morning? Would you just talk to God silently in your heart? Say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give God that prayer from your heart. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing 
to listen. And God, we pray that you would be glorified, that everyone hearing this message would be edified, and that Satan would be horrified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dive in. I really wanted a a diving board so I could walk out on it. So if anybody has a, like a diving board laying around your house somewhere, let me know so we can install it for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but if I had a diving board, it would be just perfect to be walking out there and bouncing on it. I'd love that. But the idea of this series is dive in. Our mission statement at Oakwood is, is something that we aspire to live up to. We're not perfect at it, but it is something that we aspire to live up to. And the only way you can do it is if you just dive in. Just dive in. We get to welcome new members today. These are people that have said, okay, I'm all in. I'm at Oakwood. I'll be all in. I'll become a member uh, because I want to I want, I be all in. I just want to be part of the body, the great family at Oakwood. Sometimes you just have to do it, right? You just got to dive in. You know the analogy. You've all seen videos or maybe you lived it yourself. The kid that's afraid to jump in the pool. Anybody, were you that kid? Anybody admit you're afraid to jump in the pool? Most stories go like this. A dad gets in the pool, in the pool and, and says, jump, jump, jump on in, jump. And then, you know, you do that whole thing like, oh, no, over and over again. Finally, you get the nerve. You just, you jump in. And it's the greatest thing ever. You want to do it over and over again. Dive in. There's so many analogies to, to take this theme from. Uh, dive all in at Oakwood. We want you to be all in. If you're coming and attending, just dive in. Be part of us. Serve with us. Dive in. But also in Christianity. Some of you have been just dipping your toe in. You know, that's not fun. You ever watch those people who get in water slow when it's cold? I don't know who you people are. I think you're sadistic. There's only one way to get into a cold pool. Dive in. Just jump and then it's too late, right? I've often thought that as I'm midair. Well, I wish I hadn't have done that. But it's too late. Splash, you're in. And then there's those people that do this. Oh! 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 oh. I watch them like, that's dumb. You're prolonging the agony. Just get it over with. Just get in. And so for many people, in America especially, just kind of dabbing their toe into... Both Christianity, they're, they're dabbing their toe into church. It's like, well, we'll just, maybe we'll check that out a little bit. Maybe we'll just, uh, uh, I'm not so sure. Dive in. Authentic and relevant Christianity. Now this picture, my friends just got back from Maui. And I told them I, you'd like this. You know what this is, right? This is the Black Rock in Maui. This is my favorite place on the planet Earth. Literally, it's my favorite place. When we, Julie and I, get to go to Maui, we stay right in a resort right off of this black rock. And yes, that's me. No, it's not me. But yes, I have. I have jumped off of black rock. I showed this picture. You can find that on Google of people jumping off black rock. I thought it was pretty cool, pretty aggressive. It's a great lava formation that goes right out into the ocean. It's great for snorkeling. Usually hundreds of people snorkeling around, so it's kind of hard to dive in because they're not looking up. They're looking down at the fishies. you got to find your spot, and then you jump in. It's great in your mind. The reality is messier. You can tell it's kind of a steep cliff there to get up. And I I saw people jumping off. And the first time I was there, I'm like, I've got to do that. And so I went over to the rock 
and the, you know, the swells are coming. And so you know what happens. You're in the water and you're trying to climb a slippery black rock that's straight up. And so, you know, it kind of looks like this. And then the water comes and knocks you back in. So for about a half hour, this is me clinging on to this black rock with my butt out in the air, you know, trying to scramble up before the waves knocked me off. I finally got up to the black rock to the top and I saw the stairs on the backside that you can climb up. Didn't, didn't realize that. Nobody told me that. So I, I spent all this time looking like an idiot. My wife's in the water laughing her head off at me. It wasn't that. That, that's a beautiful, I wish it was that cool. It didn't look anything like that. It was fun. But I love the experience of just diving in, just jumping all in. That guy, he's got no other option. He's in. He might not be in right now and he's midair, but he's in. Why? Because he committed himself. He jumped. And that's the whole idea of this series, Dive In. We want you to jump. And here's our mission statement. Multiply Christ like disciples who are. Podcar, right? Podcar is how we remember it. Passionate, P, passionate about their God, obedient to God's word, dependent on God through prayer, connected to one another, authentic and relevant in their witness. So these are going to be the, the messages. Pastor Ted it will be speaking when I'm gone a, a couple of times. He's going to start dabbling into the book of James, correct? If you change your mind, it's too late now. I just said it. So he's, he's going to jump into the book of James, a very practical book. So this is where we're going over the next couple of months. I think in March we will start uh, our series in the book of Daniel called Brave. But this is where we're going to be. So today passionate about their God. Everybody say passionate. So the big idea is I am passionate about God. Are you passionate about your God? And when I say that, we got to define what that means. Some of you might've heard a message like this a long time ago, because I dabbled in the, the mission statement when we first delivered it. Uh, but I, I love this message. It comes out of a book called Not a Fan. Uh, I'd encourage all of you to read the book, Not a Fan, because I think we get the wrong idea about being passionate about God. We think about fans. Uh, even Ted mentioned it in the beginning. He's like Detroit fans, Bears fans. Why? Because the word fan means fanatical. You're crazy about your team. And we've got some crazies in this room. You know, I, I imagine some people are going to be pretty crazy this afternoon. Yelling at the TV and the refs, making sure that nobody's cheating, you know, we're going to, everybody, it's us against the world, right? And then tomorrow night, there's going to be a bunch of you excited and yelling and screaming and, and fans are fans. And that's passionate. I, I'm not going to deny that. It's passionate. But maybe that's not the kind of passionate about God that God desires is just wild exuberance. I think a lot of people go to churches and they love the worship, and, and they love the experience uh, of the music, upbeat, and, and uh, you know, it just speaks to your heart, and, and they love that, and it just speaks to them, but it's just a moment. It's just like you going to a game. You pay your fee, you come in, you sit down, you cheer wildly for your team. It's exciting. But then you go and live your life. God doesn't want you to get excited about him on Sunday morning and then just go live your life. That's not diving in. So we got to talk about what's the difference. Am I a fan or a follower? God wants you to be a follower of Jesus, not just a fan of Jesus. We don't come to church to say, go Jesus. 
Yay, Jesus. Team Jesus. Woohoo! I'm on Team Jesus, everybody. And then just leave and go back to your normal, everyday life. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Let's define it. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. That's what a fan is. Uh, we're great in America about building up our icons, right? Until we like to crush them. That's what we do. We raise them up to the highest pinnacle and then we hate them, right? And then they make their way back because we also love a comeback story. Just, I'm going to make my prediction. Taylor Swift's next. She's not risen uh, so high that America's not going to, we hate her (laughs) and pull her down. Watch, it'll happen. It'll happen. I'm sorry for those of you got tickets to the, the Eros tour or whatever it's called. You know, hopefully she won't crash before then. But America's going to eventually crush her. And then we will rise her from the ashes. Because we love that. Because that's what fans do. Fans also are enthusiastic admirers until your team stinks. Come on now. Some of y'all are Lions fans today. But you weren't two years ago. Some of y'all who are like, we love the lions, go lions, it's us against the world. Two years ago, we hate the lions. Get rid of the owners, get rid of the team, get rid of everybody, we hate them. You know, fans jump on and off the bandwagon. That's why God doesn't want you to be a fan. God doesn't want you to be a fan when it's in vogue to be a Christian or popular to be. And then all of a sudden it's not so popular. Team Jesus takes a hit or two. And you're off the bandwagon. People do that all the time. That's not what God desires. A fan defines and determines their actions in the relationship. Some of y'all two years ago, you didn't get a call from the Lions headquarters saying, hey, I thought you were a fan. Why are you trashing us? No, because you determine your relationship with the team. As a fan, you determine whether you love them or hate them or are frustrated by them. You Get on bandwagon, jump off the bandwagon. That's what a fan does. A fan defines and determines their actions in the relationship. I need to tell you today, being passionate about God is what God defines as being passionate about God. God determines the actions in the relationship for the Christian. Are you a fan or are you a follower? If you're a fan, you'll determine your relationship. God is the one who actually determines what the relationship should look like. So some of you have heard this crazy story before, but it's a true story, and I've got to tell you. All of this is all good and well, what's happening today, but the best time in sports history was when Michael Jordan walked. Yes, don't, Tim, don't even argue with me. I grew up in Chicago. The best thing that ever happened was Michael Jordan came to the Chicago Bulls. For those of you who are too young and don't understand, Michael Jordan every night would put on a cape and walk onto a court and rule and dominate. And it was the greatest thing ever to be a Chicago fan. It's not been since. But Michael Jordan ruled the planet. He did incredible things. I've seen Michael Jordan play five times live and in person. And I've seen some incredible things happen. But none more incredible than around Christmas many, 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 many years ago. Julie's family bought Julie and I tickets to the Chicago Bulls game against Detroit in the palace. Soon as they gave us this gift, Julie looked at me and she said, you can't go crazy because you're going to Detroit. They're going to kill you. They, they will kill you. I was like, I won't, I won't be crazy. I promise. I know I'm in foreign territory. I'll be good. 
So we went to this Bulls-Pistons game, and it was just an average game until the very end. At the very end of the game, we're down by two points. So I say we, my team, the Bulls. We're down by two points with just seconds on the clock, three seconds on the clock. We've got the ball out of bounds. Scotty Pippen has the ball, and he's going to throw an inbounds pass. Now, guess who he's going to throw it to? No, don't even waste your time. Everybody in the world knew Michael Jordan was going to get the ball. Michael Jordan does incredible things. We're down by two points, three seconds on the clock. Scotty Pippen has the ball, and Julie looks at me, and she says, Whatever happens, do not go crazy. I'm like, I got this. I got this. I'm calm. There's no problem. So Scotty gets the ball, and if you ever play basketball or watch basketball, usually they get the ball, and then they slap it to let the team know, go. That's the, that's the, yeah. Scotty slaps the ball, and I'm expecting Michael to do some moves. He's at half court, so I expect Michael to do some moves, get open, down by our basket. We've got a score down here. Scotty slaps the ball, and Michael takes off to the other basket. I'm like, no! Well, nobody followed him, so Scotty threw the ball to him. With three seconds, he's down at the other free throw line. I'm like, no! And Michael Jordan takes two dribbles, gets to half court, and pulls up a jump shot. At half court, these guys are usually throwing it or winging it. Scotty, I mean, threw the ball to Michael. Michael gets it, takes two steps toward half court, and just pulls up a jump shot. And as he jumped in the air, released the ball, the clock expired. So it's a clean shot. Whatever happens, happens. Whether it goes in, we win. If it misses, we lose. And that ball's in the air, and it's slow motion. The whole place stands to their feet. And the ball's heading to the hoop. He shot a jump shot from half court. You don't do that. That ball's heading right for that basket. And sure enough, swish. Nothing but the bottom of the net. And everybody in Detroit sank in their seats except for one fool. I lost my mind. When that ball went in and we won... By one point, I jumped up as everybody else crashed down, and I said, My God! And apparently, that's all you could hear in the whole stadium. And Julie looked at me, she said, I knew it! I knew it! And you can see people saying, Get him. They're pointing at me. On our way out, people actually said, that's the guy. That's the guy. And Julie's like, get me out of here. That actually happened. It was one of my favorite moments as a fan. Because fans determine their actions in the relationship. Since then, honestly, I'm not a Bulls fan. I don't have any of their jerseys. I've not gone to any of their games. So I can say I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. Really? As a fan, I determine... My actions in that relationship, whether I'm all in or whether I'm not in or whether I'm totally not in at all. And that's not what God requires. That's not what God wants. What God wants is a follower. And according to scripture, a follower means a disciple, which is a whole different thing than a fan. God doesn't want you to show up at church and go, yay, Jesus. Go team Jesus. He wants more than that. And here's where we find it in Luke 9, 23. If you got a Bible, or if you want to grab one from the seats beneath there, um, or get on your gadget, get to Luke 9, because we're going to be there most of the rest of this morning. In Luke chapter 9 is where we, we have God defining what it means to follow Jesus. And it's not just to be a fan. Why do I say that? Because in Luke chapter 9, Jesus had a lot of fans. 
If you follow the New Testament, when Jesus began his ministry at about uh, the age of 30, he only had a ministry for less than three years before he died on the cross. So at about 30 years old, Jesus begins his ministry. You remember his mom? His mom tells him at the wedding, there's a problem. They ran out of wine. Jesus turns water into wine. It begins his earthly ministry. And it was a miracle. But from then on, it was miracle upon miracle. And the miracles confirmed that he was deity. That's why the miracles are there. So we know he's not just a man. He's a son of God. But as he's doing these miracles, word spreads. And fans come out of the woodwork. Just like it was easy to be a fan of the Bulls back in the 80s and early 90s. Because Michael Jordan made it great to be a fan. People were coming out of the woodwork to be around Jesus because they were fans. Why? Because the miracles were great. There's people getting healed. There's blind people that can now see. People that couldn't walk and walk now. Not to mention the miracle food that happened every once in a while. That we got nothing to eat and now we got this special food that God made out of nowhere. This is great stuff. Every once in a while he threw out a really good message and the people were stirred. It was great to be a fan of Jesus on the road with him. And the Bible indicates that he had a multitude. Thousands of people would follow him. Why? Because the show was great. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus decides that I'm not looking for fans. And he turns around and he looks at these multitude of people. And here's what he said. If anyone were to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus determined the relationship. I'm not looking for fans. I'm not looking for people to show up once a week and say, go team Jesus and then go on with their lives. I'm looking for dedicated followers. It's really interesting in this verse, the term come after me. We don't use that very much, uh, but it's romantic. What Jesus was saying is if anybody wants to pursue me, that's the word, pursue. If anybody were to come after me, if you really want to be close with me, you must deny yourself. Uh-oh. That's not what the fans wanted to hear. D- deny myself? Wait, what? What? Take up my cross? What? Every day? Take up my cross? And follow? In Luke chapter 9, Jesus had a multitude of fans. After this, we see he's got much less. We're talking less than 100 people that are following Jesus And we're going to look into that because even some of those people who really thought, I want to be part of this, even they got it wrong. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Are you a fan or are you a a follower of Jesus? A disciple follows his master. 1st love. It's fun. It's exciting. When Jesus used that term, anyone come after me, it has to bring up those emotions of when you fell in love and you pursued. Guys, I'm not going to be ashamed to say it. I know that our world has changed. But men, if you see somebody that you want to go after, then you better do it. Go after it. You find a good Christian girl, young men, go after that. Pursue it. We're having a problem in today's age that young men aren't doing that. They're, they're just, they're, they're dumb. (laughs) 
I, I was talking to Paul Gardner at Camp Barakel, and he's like, Don, we got a problem. I got 20-year-old men that come to this camp and serve, and we've got these wonderful Christian women, and these guys don't get it. They're wasting their time. For years, camp directors and pastors discouraged that. Like, you know, no, 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 no. Now we're like, young man, she's cute. Go get her. Go. Come on. You're wasting this. This is, you've got an opportunity here. Do you remember going after? Problem is, is men, the problem is we're really good at the pursuing part, but we're like cavemen. You know, we club her over the head and grab her by the hair, but now we've got her. We stop. We don't do anything anymore. Guys, continue to pursue. If you're married, continue to pursue your wife. Continue to date her. I went after Julie. I, I had been at the same school. Actually, Julie and I had spent New Year's Eve together and didn't know it. She had friends in the UP and I had friends in the UP and they all had this thing and we all ended up at, at this one location on New Year's Eve and never really met each other. Didn't I, I didn't see her. All she remembers about me is that it was an all night thing and at about six in the morning, she said some obnoxious guy was saying, I need coffee. I need coffee. And I'm like, yeah, that was me. Okay. But we didn't meet then. Later on that school year, I met Julie. I didn't meet her. I saw her. She was in the skillet. The skillet's the place where you go to gather and hang out at college. She was at a, uh, uh, just she was walking through. And I was at Burger Time. For those of you who grew up in my generation, that was one of my favorite video games. And they had the glass tabletop version of Burger Time. And so I was depressed. I had broken up with a girl and we thought we were going to be married. And so I was really depressed. So I was drowning my sorrows in quarters in Burger Time. And I'm just playing Burger Time. Woe is me. I'm face down looking at this game when she walked by. Another one of those moments in life that go into slow motion. Because she walked right across the front of Burger Time. And she did that thing. And I remember it was slow motion. She walked by, and right when she got in front of the game, she did this with her hair. And I swear, in slow motion, when I saw that hair, that brown, thick hair fly, I would literally just stopped and went. I said, who is that? Some of my friends said, That's, her name is Julie. She's been here all year, but I'd been lip dragging on the ground. Not, you know, I've been so depressed and just, I didn't look up, but I saw her. And from the moment I saw her, I was coming after that. I was going to pursue that. And I did. Yay. Victory for Don. (laughs) The Bible says, if anyone were to come after Jesus, pursue him with the passion of your life, then what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, three choices a passionate Jesus follower must make. Number one, I will follow wherever. Everybody say wherever. I will follow wherever. A lot of people aren't willing to give Jesus their wherever. A lot of people are saying, I'll be, I'll be in Jesus as long as everything's good. We have examples of it here in Scripture. In, in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57... We've got a guy who makes a decision. This is in the same passage where Jesus defines the relationship when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Now in verse 57, there's only a few left. But he, we have this guy who makes a decision. As they were walking along the road, a man said, 
I will follow you wherever you go. I don't know what caused him to do that. It's kind of a weird thing. You know, there's only a few followers now. They're walking down the road and this guy just blurts this out. Have you ever been around a blurter router? Maybe you're a blurter router. I don't know. But a blurter router, he just, I don't know if he's just been thinking about it and he got too exuberant and he got overwhelmed and he wants to declare. He's seen multitudes leave. He's one of the few that have stayed. He's probably been contemplating this and he just blurts it out. I'll follow you everywhere you go. Well, you'd think Jesus would be like, yay, woohoo, good job, fan. No, no, Jesus actually responds, and here's what Jesus says. In verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. No place. I'll follow you wherever. My wherever is going to be on the ground tonight with a rock as my pillow. Are you still in? I wish we had the answers. And I wish we knew what happened with this guy. I don't know if he stayed or if he said, oh, I didn't mean that wherever. I mean, I'm going to go to the Holiday Inn Express. I'll meet up with you tomorrow for more of the miracle stuff. I, don't, I have no idea what this guy said or what he thought. But he had, it, he had it right when he blurted out, I'll follow you wherever. Because a follower of Jesus gives God your wherever. Have you given God your wherever? Has God called you? Have you taken that step to obey him, to be where he wants you to be? It'll, it'll take you to crazy places. Again, I, I showed you a picture of Black Rock in Maui. It's my favorite place on the planet. But my first job offer was Honolulu Baptist Church. I was in college in Honolulu Baptist Church. I was there serving with a team, doing music, and putting on a youth event. And at the end of the youth event, the pastor came up to me and says, Don, I've just been watching everything you're doing. We're looking for a youth pastor. Would you consider coming? This is a great job offer coming out of college. Honolulu Baptist Church, man, I'm going to Honolulu. Woohoo! While I was entertaining that, my roommate from across the hall said, hey, Don, I'm speaking at a a youth uh, winter retreat. Would you come and lead worship? Come just lead worship. I was older than him, and he said, this is my first speaking thing. I want you to watch, and we'll evaluate. You can help me and stuff. And so I'm like, yeah, that'll be fun. No idea. I went to this youth retreat, not thinking anything of it. I'm heading to Honolulu, man. That's my destiny. I go to this youth retreat. I think it was Camp Mishendo. And this guy spoke, and I played guitar. But man, I just fell in love with these teens. They were from Battle Creek. And it came time to make a choice. And I hadn't once thought about where God wanted me to be, but I'd, I sure liked the sound of Honolulu. At the end of that youth retreat, they're associate pastor came to me and said, Don, we're looking for a youth pastor. Would you consider coming to Calvary Baptist in Battle Creek? I spent 25 years not in Honolulu. <laughs> and I don't regret it. Some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure about his decision-making skills. <laughs> but it was the right thing, because I believe that's where God called me to be. Have you given God your wherever? 25 years of ministry in Battle Creek, when that came to an end, I said, really, God? 
I was a youth pastor there and lived in a parsonage. And at the end of that time, the church was selling the houses. And so I resigned and purchased the house I'd lived in for free for 20 years. And not at a discounted rate, by the way. They didn't make me a deal. I had to go to my wife and explain, we're going to give up our salary and buy the house that we've been living in for free so that I could go to the next thing that God's calling me to do. Director of Student Missions for Vision for Youth International. My family was great. They were all in. They're like, yeah, this is what God wants you to do. My, my girls were just going into college. And here I quit my job and took a job where I had no salary. I was a missionary. I had to raise support. That's a terrible thing to do. It's hard. It's so hard. But you know what? I don't regret any of it. Because a long time ago, I decided to give God my wherever. Wherever, God. Wherever that takes me. Jesus made it clear. He did not have a bed and a home. And the wherever means wherever. Are you willing to go wherever? Are you willing to give him your your life and say, God, wherever you have me. We, we sing a, a hymn today, thank you. We, we, every once in a while we'll throw out a hymn. There's an old hymn that we used to end a lot of services with. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee my, what is it? Blessed Savior, I surrender all. You're going to have to hear me sing a lot more often because now that Ted's here, they're not, I'm not needed on the team. So I'm only leading worship once in the next three months. You don't have to see me up here anymore, but I still love to sing. So you're going to have to hear me sing when I preach. I surrender all. The only problem with songs like that, they make us to be liars. Because when we sing a song like that, do we really mean it? Are we really saying, God, I surrender all, my wherever? Honestly, if we were to be Truthful, we'd have to change all of our songs. This one should be, I surrender some. I surrender some. A modicum of civility, I will give you. <laughs> I surrender some. Don't, that's, that's a fan. A fan of Jesus would say, I, I'll surrender some. Just enough. Jesus says, no, no, that's not the relationship. I'm not looking for fans. I'm looking for followers. And followers have to start with, I surrender all. All. That means you're wherever. Everybody say wherever. It also means you're whenever. Because a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, I, I love Jesus. And, and I'll, I'll give him. Wherever I'm at, I'll give him. Someday. I'll give him everything. When I'm old and boring. And don't have any life to live, right? So that's what people think. They think they have this weird thought. Oh man, when I get to be old, I'll really be a serious Christian. But I'm, I'm doing my thing right now. Have you given God your whenever? <laughs> Which means right now. All your days. Not just eventually. Eventually I'll get this right. God, I promise, eventually I'll get this right. No, no, he wants you right now. He wants your Whenever. We have this right in the next verse, still another guy. Another, uh, Jesus actually said to this guy, not like the blurter out, or at least Jesus talked to this guy. Jesus says, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. My fa- what an excuse. Sounds like a good excuse. 
I mean, when you read this passage, you, you could get it wrong and think that Jesus was extremely rude. I mean, this guy's dad just died. No, he didn't. That's not what this means at all. You're thinking of our culture. This was their culture. We have no indication that this man uh, actually had a father who just deceased. What the man was actually saying is, I will follow you. But first, I need to go back home. Because my dad, you know, he's getting older and I need to spend some time with them and I need to live my life for them as their son and I need to do all this. Eventually, after my dad dies then, maybe, maybe after my dad dies and I bury him, maybe then I'll give you my all. Again, it's always something in the future. So Jesus' response, by the way, is not rude. It's not like this guy's dad had just died. Jesus said... Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He wasn't being rude. We have Jesus also saying in other parts of scripture that you need to leave. If you're going to follow me 100%, you've got to leave your family. Not, not despise them or hate them, but you need to focus on what I have for you to do. And that might mean sacrifice. What does it look like? It looks like Mel Walker, my mentor who his whole life would stand before young people and say, give your life to Jesus and serve him. It'll be the best thing for you. Until he was at the airport saying goodbye to his 20-something-year-old daughter who was going to Berlin to be a missionary. His whole life he had told parents, let God use your children. Let them go and let them serve. It'll be the best thing. Now he's the parent saying goodbye to a single daughter who's going to Berlin, Germany to be a missionary. And he thought to himself, was it true? Was I right? Mel passed away a couple years ago, but if he was here today, he would say, yes. It's the greatest thing that God called my daughter to serve him. And she said, you can have my wherever and you can have my whenever. Does it mean Christy hates her mom and dad? No, she doesn't hate them. She loves her mom and dad. Did she leave them? Yes, because she had a call. Do you understand that? Do you understand the difference? I don't think Jesus was being rude here at all, but he was being honest. He was saying, you just want time. And I'm telling you, I'm asking you today. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus doesn't usually give an invitation and say, whenever you're ready. When he calls you, it's now. Everybody say now. And that's your whenever. Your whenever is now. Are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Have you dove in? Have you gotten yourself airborne? I'm not going to jump. Don't worry. Have you gotten yourself airborne and said, you can have my whenever. You can have my wherever. When God calls you, immediate action is required. And immediate means immediate. You guys know what that little symbol is, right? That little check engine light. Anybody driving with a car or vehicle with an engine light on it right now? Yeah. Doesn't it drive you nuts? Every time you see it, you're kind of like, eh, is this thing just going to die? I mean, my dad took his car in years ago, and I remember he was so frustrated. He said, I got this check engine light. And the guy went through everything, and he said, you know what? We've looked at it. It's really no big deal. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. You know, you, you, you don't need to worry about it. He's like, but that light's there. And the guy said, well, if it really bothers you, I can fix that. And he took black electrical tape and he put it over (laughs) the thing. He just covered over it. How many of us do that in our spiritual lives? God is saying, 
I want you. I want you wherever. I want you whenever. I want you now. And we say, yeah, I, I, I see the light side. I see you're calling me, but not now. I'm just going to put a piece of tape over that so it doesn't bug me. So I can go about my life not thinking about it. No. Check engine means check engine. Being a youth pastor for so many years, I had so many kids. And the fun part of that is when they turn 16. I love watching parents suffer through that agony of teaching a new kid how to drive. I love that whole thing and them on the road with them. And, and this girl in our youth group in Battle Creek, she had gotten her license. And, you know, God bless her. She's a really smart gal, but she's really an airhead, you know, and she, you know, she didn't think clearly all the time. And uh, I remember she told me the story. She was driving down the road and her car quit. It just quit. And so she called her dad. Dad, the car quit. He goes, what do you mean? Are you out of gas? No, I got gas. The car just quit. Was it doing anything? She goes, no, I was just driving it and it quit. Did you see any lights on the dashboard? Oh, yeah. I've had all sorts of lights on the dashboard for a week now. There was one that showed a picture of an oil can. There was one. She had gone way over the oil change light do thing. And the car was saying, hey, I need help here. And she just decided, well, still moving. She drove that thing till it was dry of oil and it just seized. The car just went, done. And her dad was furious. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you react to the signs? Same thing could be said of us as believers. Has God been blinking on your dashboard of life saying, now's the time. Give me your whenever. Give me your wherever. Are you all in? Matthew 4, 18 through 20 is a great passage. I'll read it real quick for you. It's a whole different reaction. Not, not eventually, God, after I take care of everything else and I get my ducks in a row, then I'll come serve you. No, Matthew 4, 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I'll send you out to fish for people. I love this because this is directly what's happening in Luke. Jesus had spun around and looked at a guy and said, follow me. And the guy's like, oh, let me go home and finish stuff and get all settled. And when I'm ready, maybe I'm financially more square. I'll come follow you eventually. Here, Jesus and Matthew found two guys out on a boat. And he says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Because <laughs> they're fishing, Right? Don't miss the fact that they're fishing in a boat, in the water, okay? Don't forget that, because here's their response. Verse 20, at once, everybody say at once. You didn't do very good at that. At once, they left their nets and followed him. You know what, that that comes with a sound effect. At once comes with a sound effect when you're in a boat, in the water, and you at once follow It goes with this, squish. When Jesus said, you two guys, follow me. They dropped their nets, jumped in the water, swam to shore. Have you given God your whenever? Have you said, I'm all in? I'm going to follow you wherever, no matter if it means sacrifice, I'll follow you whenever, which means right now. Don't be like the guy in Luke. Be like the guys in Matthew. When God calls, answer the third thing, a passion to follow Jesus, must, a decision you must make. I'll follow whatever. Everybody say whatever. 
Uh, most people like that one. <laughs> my wherever, my whenever, and if you're still holding on, I got one to cover it all. Are you willing to follow God, whatever the cost? Where do we see this? Still in the same passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 61. Still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus has a response to this. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I think you can tell by Jesus' response to all these people. And by the way, these are not bad people. Let me remind you, these are the people that stuck with him after he had made his statement. Deny yourself. Follow me. Take up your cross. Jesus set the parameters for the relationship. These people were willing. But as Jesus defined more what it means to be a follower, I think more and more fell away. We find not too long later, he's got 72 followers. I don't know if these guys were in. I don't know if they stayed. He went from multitudes down to 72. I will follow whatever. What does that mean? What about the rich young ruler? What must I give? What must I buy? What must I sell? What, 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 what do I do to inherit eternal life? How can I buy eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell everything and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. It's one of the saddest passages of scripture in the Bible. Because think of his name. We don't know his other real name, but we do know him by three names. Rich, young, ruler. Have you ever heard of three adjectives or are they nouns? I don't know what they are. Rich is an adjective. I don't know. There's three words there and all of them are pretty good. Who doesn't want to be rich? Who wouldn't want to be young? And who wouldn't want to be in charge? This guy's got it going on. He's young, he's wealthy, and he's got prestige. And that's the problem. And by the way, when you go to a passage like this and you see Jesus' response, some people say, even Jesus doesn't know how to get saved. Jesus didn't know the gospel. Somebody should have taught him. No. The problem with Jesus is he's different than any of us. He, he knows what's going on in a heart and he speaks directly to a heart. You and I can't do that. You and I can't go evangelizing and tell people, if you want to go to heaven, sell your stuff because that's not the gospel. But Jesus knew the heart of the issue was he wasn't willing to follow. He's rich, young, and in charge and he's got it going on. And now he's coming to Jesus. What do I got to buy? Can I just give some money so I can go to heaven? And Jesus is like, he doesn't get it. So Jesus hits him right where the decision is. Are you willing to give it all up? Are you willing to give me your wherever, your whenever, and your whatever? What does the Bible say well, that makes this passage so sad? He went away. He wasn't willing. He went away without salvation because he was rich, young, and in charge. And he wasn't willing to give up anything. Again, do I need to make the point? Jesus is the one who lays down the standard of what it means to be a follower. And he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow. In other words, dive in, Christian. Dive in. No more dangling your toes and saying, well, I'll, uh, maybe I'll uh, do a little bit of that, or maybe I'll just you know, maybe do a little, no, dive in. 
all in. So am I a fan or a follower of Jesus? Have I given God my wherever, my whenever, and my whatever?